Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second 50th episode of the Superhero Ethics Podcast. Once again, we have all three of our hosts uh, coming at you tonight to kind of do a retrospective of the superhero ethics discussions, what we've talked about in the past, kind of taking some of those podcast discussions, updating them a little bit, uh, and giving uh, all three of us a chance to talk about them. So um, I'm Matthew. I'm, uh, I've been one of the co-hosts for the, the entire run. I'm Paul, um, old school, early on uh, host person. Uh, my name is Jacob. I am somebody who Matthew conned into doing this uh, in future <laughs> episodes, so now I'm in for the long haul for reasons. Exactly, exactly. I appreciate the successful conning. Yeah. It got me out of work. <laughs> Don't worry, Jacob. I will give your firstborn back once we get to the 100th episode. Anyway. I have a child? <laughs> Hold on, guys. We have to stop I, I recording. <laughs> I don't think the rate of uh, production of episodes is fast enough for that to really be. The the best part of this, everybody, is as you can tell, this is going to be a super serious episode talking about super serious topics. We're all a little bit punch drunk, but we think that's going to make this episode all the more entertaining. Um, Especially because we're going to start by jumping into a topic that we, we, I think, perennially get into because it's, I think for all three of us, one of our favorite parts about uh, the superhero stories we, we, we tend to most enjoy, which is a good villain. Um, and we, we talked a little bit about this on the teaser episode, but I wanted to go a little bit deeper, um, especially because this is one that we've talked about on a number of past episodes. On um, episode three, at the very beginning, when we uh, suicidal villains. Uh, episode nine, when we talked about Astra from Supergirl. Uh, Twenty-two, when we talked about his Magneto right, and episode nineteen, when we talked about the Joker. Um, and so, let me actually sh- start with you, Jacob, because. You got to listen to our old episode where Paul and I talked about the, um, the the villains of Suicide Squad and of Joker and of Magneto. What's your kind of take on the um, our, the overall idea of of the role of villains in the stories we talk about and why that why that's so important? Well, first of all, uh, spoiler alert: Magneto is right, and it's very unfortunate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but, but uh, more to the point, um, it, for me at least. It, it makes the story more compelling, and it makes the, the hero's struggle and, and the hero's ideals uh, and their conflict with the villains, for me, make a, a lot more sense. It, it brings the whole thing together. It makes the conflict more real and more, uh, more, more something I can connect to more, something I can actually get engaged with when I feel that, mm, you know, the villain's one of those there, but for the grace of whomever go I, or, like... You know, there's some times where I actually agree with them. So in in that case, like, you really need, in, in any kind of story, you really need an antagonist who is going to drive the, the protagonist to some some end goal, right? Some end result. And so when they're actually, um, when they're dealing with antithetical ideologies, it's interesting. But even more interesting is when they're dealing with ideologies that are not too far away from each other. Right. Well, then let me ask you actually the question that, that, that Paul and I went, went round and round on on the, um, the episode dedicated to specifically this. Given that, as I heard you say, and I know you, you know that I think, and I think Paul has often echoed, a, a lot of our favorite villains are the ones who we find most relatable. The ones where we say like they, they kind of have a point, that they have a, a perspective that, as you just said, is not too, cl- not too far away from our heroes. And one that like we can agree with them a large extent. They just go a little off the rails. Given all that, why is Joker such a good villain? Because Joker seems to fit none of those criteria. Mm, 
asking the hard hitting questions. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, and that's an excellent point because Joker is he really flies in the face of of a lot of those ideas. But to me, depending on the portrayal, uh, is one of the villains that is is strongly compelling. I think the Joker is is more of an anomaly in that regard because part of what uh, they do with the Joker in and this is true in some stories and not others. Like, the Dark Knight Joker actually is mostly just a straight-up anarchist, right? It's not a it's not a case where he's, uh, he's, he's portrayed as being uh, somewhat off the rails, but when he actually sits there and starts advocating for his ideology, he's really just uh, somebody who's studying the human condition. Is like, this is all BS. Uh, you guys are dumb. The world can't work. And right. these systems of order need to be taken down because this isn't working. And he um, successfully takes down some of them yep. that are broken, and yep. Batman kind of just, like, sort of helps. Right, but if you take the uh, the Batman the Animated Series uh, Joker, who's, like, in my opinion, the, the best Joker, my favorite Joker, uh, he's just an agent of chaos, as far as I can tell. Uh, his agenda is to, to do things because, that, because he wants to, as far as I can tell. Like, there's no real... Uh, it's strange. There, there's nothing. Um, p- part of what makes him compelling is that you you don't understand him, and so it, at any given point, he could do something, and it can be radically outside of your expectations, except that you don't have any expectations. So it makes him um, that degree of unpredictability is very interesting, right? Um, yeah, and it's like he's having fun all the time. Yeah, exactly. We're trying so, to. So clearly he's enjoying himself. Uh, there are other portrayals of the Joker that, that are more or less interesting. There's a, a comic, I, I and I wish I remember which one this was, a portrayal of the Joker in a comic where he... Um, they end up going into the the minds of different people while this one entity is trying to teach the Justice League a point. And at one point they're in this, like, I want to say it's like a child's room or something. It's a very innocent, pastier-type... Uh, scenario and uh batman at the time is like i i want to get out of here we're done here we can't go away because he's actually figured out that it's they're in the joker's mind <laughs> and it would the mm-hmm. point the entity was trying to make was that the joker's mind is the mind of an innocent uh yeah. and you know that can lead to all these horrible things and he just like he nopes out he's all like yeah this is i'm done <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i like that point i, I i've often thought Especially what you said about the Joker being such the anomaly. Um, one of my other favorite villains, although not from superhero, but from a, another great genre, um, is Iago from Shakespeare's Othello. And I, I, I've read a number of essays about that play and that what makes Iago so compelling is that he doesn't seem to have any agenda. He just seems to be uh, – uh, to me, Iago in, in, in Othello, it, he just wants to watch the world burn You know, in, in that line from Dark Knight. Um, and, and one of the things that this essay also uh, went into is the idea that the reason why Iago is such a powerful villain is because most villains aren't like him, mm-hmm. um, that he is so different. And I I don't know if you guys find this, but I, I often find that when I'm watching a movie or a, um, a TV show, a superhero story that, that doesn't connect with me, it often feels like because the villain is a bad attempt at doing the Joker. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the mustache twirlers I see – seem to be attempting to capture that idea of the Joker of mwahaha, I'm just doing terrible things because I'm just so crazy and, and they just it just can't be captured. Yeah, well, Joker's got personality and personality goes a long way. And 
you know, like, if you have a Joker who's played really poorly, like, it's not gonna work the same way as it, like, even doing the same things, right? If it just doesn't, if you don't have, um, and I, I guess I'd use the example of Jared Leto's Joker, which I actually like a lot, but I know a lot Mm -hmm. of people really don't. And I think a lot of that might come down to some of it might be his actions actually is kind of a, a, definitely a different Joker than you know, his like methodic Joker or whatever. But like, um, but a lot of it I think is that the personality is fairly different or the delivery is fairly different from a lot of the other Jokers and right. it either works for someone or it doesn't. Like, I think Loki's basically like a Joker. I mean, he's got a backstory that's like, Oh, I was, you know, adopted yeah. and blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, I'm insecure because my older brother's all what he is. But, like, he's really Loki works because he's just got personality, you know. And especially yeah. Loki in the MCU works because Tom Hiddleston, you know. Right. And and I, I think I, – I'll admit I, I do not like at all Jared Leto's Joker. I was very disappointed when um, I saw that they were giving him his own movie – and, and I think part of it has just always felt wrong, but part of it is, and I wonder if this is sort of part of what makes Joker a powerful character, if this is what I see. To me, a fundamental part of the Joker, somewhat in Heath Ledger, but especially in uh, the Jacob, the one you brought up, Mark Hamill's in, in the animated series, is that Joker doesn't care about anyone mm. except Batman. Right. And, 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 and to some extent, not even himself. Like, he is totally willing to put himself into incredible danger. He's totally willing to say... I don't give a damn about anything else, respectability, you know, honor, any of this stuff. It's all nonsense. None of it means anything. The only person he ever cares about is Batman. And Jared Leto cares deeply for for Harley in a way that seems so fundamentally not what I think of for that character. I mean, I actually find that really an interesting um, sort of development with Joker. But at the same Uh time, it's like in that cut he does but I think in one of the other cuts like maybe he doesn't or he kind of he toggles between like caring deeply for her and just being like eh whatever you know I'll just throw a grenade over here or whatever um or push her off the back of the the helicopter like he kind of flips back and forth the the thing that I feel is really missing from there is it's you know it's a movie that features Joker fairly heavily and it's got Batman kind of in a couple little cameos, and technically they're in a scene together in the chase scene, but there's no actual interaction between the characters. And yeah. so, like, it's like we're set up for that, but we don't get any of that. So that's something that I kind of feel is definitely missing. And Paul, I, I think that's an important point about um, Joker and Batman, especially because, to me, a part of what makes... I, I think we've said this in earlier podcasts, and, and, and Jacob, I'm curious your perspective on Batman, but for me, a big part of what I love so much about Batman is that Batman cares so much about law and order. Like, he wants there to be a functioning, successful police and court and legal system, and he has this paradoxical situation of feeling like because that system is broken, he has to break it even further in right. order to help fix it. Like, it's it's, so broken. Right, it's so broken that he has to go and be the vigilante, be the Dark Knight. And and I feel like because you already start in a Batman story with this really interesting question of can, you know, 
if everything is about the system and saving the system and do I break the system to save the system in that world Joker coming along to say but the system is dumb why think about it at all makes right. so much sense and without Batman yeah I think you're right I, I it is hard to for me Joker doesn't land in a world without Batman mm-hmm. In, in in a lot of ways, uh, one of the things that I really appreciate about Joker in the Batman stories is one of one of my personal beefs with the character of Batman. And for for people in the show who are getting people listening to the show who are ready to write letters and tell me how I'm wrong, I actually I do like the character of Batman. So understand that when I say that I dislike how authoritarian he is, yeah. that does not mean I don't like the character. But Batman is one of the most authoritarian uh, heroes in his ideology. Uh, in the DC universe, I think. Um, and I love that the Joker serves as sort of a pin constantly poking at that balloon, being in, in at least, again, in the stories where I, where I really like the Joker's portrayal, that's part of what he's doing, is being like, these authority figures that you trust are complete garbage, and here's why. Right? Like, um, now... They sort of turned that a little bit on its ear in the Dark Knight because he just wanted to prove to uh, to Bruce Wayne or to Batman because he didn't know if Batman would report anyway um, that uh, even the you know the the most stalwart and upright uh, authority figure in the city can be corrupted and turned to to these turned away from their ideals the way that happens with Harvey Dent uh, sort of rushed in at the end I feel uh, in that movie but. It still made the point that it was trying to make, uh, but but I like that. I really appreciate that because that's the one aspect of Batman's ideology that I feel is flawed and does need to be called into question. And in that movie, he does go to like extreme surveillance methods that like yep. Lucius Fox wants to quit and whatever. And it's like, um, you know, in order to beat someone who's basically trying to make that point to him, you know. Although I guess it's more his joker's point is kind of maybe as much that like humans are so easily corruptible Mm -hmm. you know but so that almost almost so like any system you build it's always going to be based on humans um and human decisions uh that it's always going to be corruptible like it's not so much that the system is corrupt it's that Right. Any system you build will be corrupt. Right, because as previously mentioned, the Heath Ledger Joker, Heath Ledger Joker is an anarchist. Right. Uh, so right. as an anarchist, that's of course what he's going to advocate. Right. And, and I think that you're making a really interesting point there about sort of Batman's sort of lean towards authoritarianism. And especially, I think, one of the things that I like some of the uh, more recent TV shows and, uh, and other movies I've seen is that, Bat- that there's often this portrayal that Batman always has some aspect of that but that it is after things get really bad for him or something really happens to shatter any of his um, ideology. Like, for example, if it, the death of Robin in some stories or things like that, that Batman tends to go even more in that direction, um, which is one of the few things I actually quite like about the, the Ben Affleck portrayal um, in, in some of those movies. And, and, and I, to me, that's interesting as we talk about because as Jacob and I discussed on a recent podcast about the, the comic book, uh, the graphic novel series uh, Kingdom Come – Superman has the exact same potential flaw. Oh, yeah. Superman has the same potential to go towards a place of real authoritarianism. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's really interesting because Superman and Batman are so often pre- presented as polar opposites. You know, it's, right. it's, it's the Dark Knight and the Light Knight. You know, they are the, the, the Dark Knight and the Boy Scout. Um, and so I think it's really interesting that in that way, the two kind of meet in the middle 
in 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 their dark in their problematic times. Yeah, I mean that's why they are you know form the Justice League basically, right? Because like they have a very similar outlook in terms of how they th- want things to be. I think um, Superman is just more optimistic about um, and you know maybe naive that like oh we're closer to that than you know um, than maybe Batman thinks you know whereas Batman's mm-hmm. more like yeah we're gonna need to really do a bunch of things that maybe we don't really want to do in order to get things to a place where then they can be like that whereas Superman partially because he has so much power because he had like this idyllic you know um, childhood you yeah. know um, grew up on a farm with both parents even though his biological parents were dead but like whatever um, but you know it, he just I think comes at it from sort of a, oh well we'll just do this and everything will be fine kind of whereas Batman's like everything's horrible and you know we need to break the rules to be able to make them then work later right and it, it was something that we actually uh, covered in that episode because that story does a really good job of covering it. Uh, the the idea that um, when Superman is faced with those with those kinds of hard choices to try to enforce, because he he's convinced that look look Superman thinks that the utopian future is just around the corner because he's got this very ideological, very um, idealized version of how the human brain works and how humanity is from unfortunate from the unfortunate reality that bruce wayne encounters every day when he looks himself in the mirror uh so there's that there's that contrast there and when when superman is faced with one of those like you've got to make a hard call and you know do some things that aren't you know the as apple pies as some of the other things that you you've done in the past he just sort of shuts down he can't make the decision which is uh, it, it makes sense for his character, but in that way, uh, it means that he can't advance uh, the cause that he wants to advance. Yeah, it's like yeah. in Justice League um, Unlimited, the first season of that, so the third season of Justice League overall, the animated series, where like the like space laser like blows up one of the Cadmus bases, and then you know, I think it was. I'm not sure whether Superman's idea, but it's like, okay, we're all going to turn ourselves into the government and let them sort mm-hmm. this out. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Superman was all like, like, it'll work out for no. the best. Yeah. <laughs> Batman out. <laughs> right. Well, I, I think because, it, yeah, it's that throughout the whole, and I, you know, you guys heard me talk before about Amanda Waller and why she's such yeah. one of my favorite characters, yeah. because I, um, and Suicide Squad, I think, portrays her really well. Um, it's one of the only things that movie does well. Um, but, Disagree. But, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. Um, and, and it's like we did an entire episode about our disagreement on that, which you all can check out. Um, but I, to me, you know, for both – Amanda Waller is really focused on this question of what happens when superheroes fall? Mm-hmm. What happens when superheroes go wrong? And Superman's answer to that question is don't worry. It will never happen. And so when right. it does happen, he freaks out and is like, oh, my God, you're right. right. Batman's answer is, of course it will happen, <laughs> yeah. but don't worry. I'm going to take care of this because I don't trust you any more than I trust anyone else. Yeah. Um, do, do you think that's accurate? Yeah. Um, I'm going to give a quote from something that uh, I guess I won't say where it's from. But basically, there's a story where Batman comes up with 
ways to defeat all the members of the Justice League. And yeah, Tower of Babel. Hmm? Tower of Babel. Oh. Um, that's the name of the story. Sorry, continue. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's there's also a... That, that's the comic book. The yes, original, that's the, right? yes, that's yeah, the graphic yeah. novel, yes. Right, so it was adapted into something, um, which is where I saw it. But, uh, it, you know, the the point being basically like, yeah, we we need ways to, you know, stop each member of our group because we're all so powerful, you know. And it's basically like if the Justice League ever goes rogue, there has to be a way to stop it. Um, and then Superman's like, well, what about you? Do you have a plan to stop you? And he's like, yeah, it's called the Justice League. Like, <laughs> basically, like, any one of you can stop me, you know? Like, right. If Although, I get way out of line, re- it's like I'm realistically, just a dude, like... Realistically, in the fiction, they can't because he's got a plan for everything. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, that kind of... But, like, you know, if he didn't already enact it... Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I do think that there's a really interesting... I'm glad you brought that up because, yeah, that, that's one of my absolute... Yeah. I, I, I think what you and I know it from is I believe there's a Justice League Unlimited episode where, where that happens. Um, and Jacob, you're probably right. It's based on a, a comic story. Yeah, that's not um, what I'm talking about. But yeah, but yeah, there's, okay. a, there's a similar but, thing introduced in in the Justice League Unlimited as well. Okay, yeah, it happens in a couple places. Yeah. And to me, I I don't even think that it's, it. I, I think on some level, yeah, Batman might be able to stop all them. But I think it's also some level of self awareness on the part of Batman, mm-hmm. which I don't see from almost any other hero. In that Batman acknowledges that he could fuck up too. Right. You know right. he. Whereas, like, Superman, Captain America, even Tony, somewhat less Tony, but most of these heroes feel like, don't worry, I'm the good guy with a gun. I'm the one you can trust. Right, right. To me, Batman is sort of saying, like, I could be just as fucked up as anyone else. Right. There has to be a way to stop me. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of the – that's kind of supposed to be the essence of the debate between, you know, Team Cap and and Team Tony in Uh Civil War, I think, which is, like, Tony knows that, like – he can be wrong because, like, he was just wrong, you know? Right. Um, and, or he just did something that caused great damage. And Cap's kind of like, yeah, I didn't do that, you know? And that doesn't mean he can't end up being a Hydra agent and not know it. I don't know. Um, but, <laughs> like, depending on who's writing him. But, um, but he kind of just, like, doesn't allow for that possibility in the same way that, um, uh, Superman sort of like, well, I would never, we would never do that. You know that, Bruce, you know? Um, right. And it's like, well, in another world you did, you know, and, and you can like, know you wouldn't do something, but then it's like someone who's you, I mean. Also, the point of order, there's a, there's a color of kryptonite that turns Superman into some giant jerk face McGee, like, and he's encountered <laughs> it, so he's just lying. Oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing in, in Justice League Unlimited takes place after the thing in the Superman series where Darkseid makes Superman like his world conqueror mm-hmm. and Superman comes to Earth and like wreaks <laughs> havoc and basically tries to, you know, take it over, um, a la Captain Zod. So like he should know his fallibility and, you know, when you exist in a world with outright mind control, it's like, yeah, there's gotta be a way to take you out if you're not you, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. At the very least. I mean, because what I was about to say was like, um, if you're someone who says, oh, well, I would never do such and such, and w- within, like, y- the circumstances of your life, like, you, you really never would, but then things happen to get you to a point where you would do that, like, is that you the same you as the first you? Or is, like, is that basically a different person at that point? And that's, I think, I um, to, to me, I think that's one of the things that, that 
Joe, some other villains have done, but to me that Joker does so well. Oh yeah, is I feel like Joker more than one of the few constants in every version of him is that Joker seems to be you know if anyone ever around Joker says no, I would never do that. You know, this is that whole at one bad day. Right. You know, the Joker Joker always wants to prove that everyone could do the things they think they would never do if they just have that one bad day. Right, which may or may not be true, but it's certainly a interesting question that he raises and simply saying, like, no, I definitely would never do that is kind of a cop-out right. because you don't know all the circumstances that could arise. So we, we've spent a long time on this particular topic but uh there's there's a lot more i think we can discuss right uh so for we sure. talk for a lot and we sort of like digressed from talking about um villains relatability of villains where, where sometimes they might have a point or or getting on to the joker how sometimes he doesn't have a point and it's not that he's right. like yeah sometimes he's not even trying to make a point he's doing right. a thing um but then we also have sort of a, a well another side of it is is heroes that um, we we really disagree with uh, either their methodologies or sometimes their their ideologies. Like I, I mentioned earlier, how I'm not a huge fan of uh, how Batman seems to want the world to ultimately function. It seems like he would be a pretty big fan of a police state. Of course, Batman I think would have this sort of idea of like, well, okay, but you have a police state where you have people in power who you can trust, and that makes it right. all correct, right? And yeah, so if I live Maybe in magical Christmas robots. land. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and that's, that's to me. I think with Batman, it's the like what I like about the Dark Knight Batman is that is that that Batman is saying I'm only putting in this police state in the hope that we can get the people to believe in law and order and the system to be non-corrupt enough that we don't need the police state anymore. Right. And that I think what you see in some of the in some of like the the Zack Snyder Batmans um, is where Batman just always wants that police state. Um, but but also, uh, Jacob, I think you're right. Like, like we, we can keep talking about something similar to that, but let's move on to this more idea of uh, when it's not the heroes, when it's not the villains we're talking about, but the heroes. Um, and I, I, I would say I think one of my favorite episodes that Paul and I ever did was episode four, uh, El Mariachi in the Castle, where we talk about uh, the character of both the Punisher and, and in particular in relation to um, – uh, Desperado, which is a movie that I think a lot of our fans may not have seen, and I know Jacob you haven't seen, but I know you heard that that discussion and 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 have heard have been talking with us before about this whole issue of what what is happening when we have uh, movies that are really having not not just showing our heroes doing bad doing bad things to bad people, but are really delighting in you know show, showing us having a lot of fun with with terrible things happening to bad people. Right, whether they're um, having the fun or they're like the audience is having the fun. Right. Yeah. What, 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 what's your take on, on on some of those discussions, Jacob? Well, so, and I, I think I've made my feelings on this particular matter uh, well known, is that I can enjoy as much as the next person, you know, ridiculous, almost cartoony violence in my media. Um, the the concept of violence itself, I, I have... Well, problems with, I guess, is, is not the correct <laughs> word, because I think everybody has a little bit of problem when you, when you think about violence, especially violence acting on their person. But um, the, if they I, don't have problems with violence, they have problems. But, right. Sorry, go on. So, but but the violence portray the portrayal of violence, specifically in our media, particularly uh, in in American television media, I feel is it's a little it's glorified a bit too much and it was this was exemplified in the Netflix Punisher TV series i feel to an extreme 
there were moments where I feel like they weren't glorifying it, uh, where where it was actually supposed to feel disturbing. But when when it's portrayed like that, I can at least go, okay, no, I don't think I am meant to feel like I am connecting with this with this hero, because I don't care how much I you know somebody wants revenge what this person is doing is ridiculous it's it's really really nasty and it's not necessary um whereas when i'm when i'm watching a movie like um uh, so again I, I haven't seen desperado uh the one movie that comes to mind that deals with guns and has some like cartoony violent scenes is uh boondock saints uh mm -hmm. and there's there's a couple of scenes in boondock saints that are a lot of fun but you know, if you step if you step back for a second and you look at them, you're like, mm, yeah. At the end of the day, these are just two guys going around shooting a bunch of people they don't like. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, when, and and we take it actually to compare it to to one more thing. Um, for you, what's the difference between the Punisher and Deadpool? Because De <laughs> Deadpool yeah. is another Deadpool is another story where we have a hero who is doing gruesome, ridiculous, over the top violence. Out of revenge, mm -hmm. um, you know. I mean, there's are clearly bad people, but we never get the the sense in uh, the first. Th these people don't pose an immediate threat to anybody. You know, they're not like right. he has to stop sometimes them or they something. Do, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes they do, but there isn't the like he has to kill them right now or else this terrible thing will happen right, kind right. of stakes. Yeah. What? Why is it that we can enjoy the 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 violence of Deadpool and not? And, and I would say Desperado, but I know you haven't seen that one. But and not in Punisher. Well, I, I don't know. So, like, I, f I almost feel like I shouldn't, but it is, they're being portrayed in very different ways. Um, I, I don't think at any point when you're watching, at least, the, and I haven't seen the, the, the latest Deadpool movie, but uh, for, for the first Deadpool movie that came out, I don't think at any point when you're watching that, you're supposed to be like, yep, this is realistic. This is what people <laughs> should do in this situation. <laughs> like, the term realism does not apply to this universe. This person is clearly a character who is talking at the audience in some yeah, cases. Yeah. Like, this is, this is irreverent and, like, very cartoony, very funny, very very much meant as entertainment, and not trying to take itself seriously. Right. Whereas the Punisher is one hundred and ten percent taking itself seriously, and I don't think there's I don't think anybody would question me on that. Um, who's who's seen the show and was paying attention? Uh, maybe maybe there's some like comedic thing you can take away from it, but it felt like a very serious, very heavy. Uh, show and in the in those cases, because there were times where the violence was being presented to us as just, whereas I don't feel that is ever the case in Deadpool. The the ridiculous off the top nonsense right. violence is not is not being presented to me as this is justice being served. Is being portrayed to me as isn't this hilarious? I mean, it's Deadpool's kind of like the Joker in a lot of ways. Yeah, actually. You know, he's like basically like, well, I'm going to do this because it's fun, or I'm I'm going to do this because I want revenge, but I'm going to do it this way because I think it's hilarious because I think it's fun. You know, right? And and we're given just enough knowledge about Deadpool to like feel a sympathy for him that we're not necessarily supposed to feel for the Joker, right? But I think you're right that other than that, they are a little similar. And and I would ask you, Paul, to you how similar? Like I know you and I had a, a great, like I said, a great discussion about. Desperado, mm -hmm. going into I think the exact questions that you're bringing up, Jacob, about how 
to some extent, you know, because Jacob, I agree with your idea of, you know, that, that, that a movie will sometimes say, kind of give you permission to enjoy the guilty pleasure, I think is the best way to put it. You know, that it, it's saying it's okay to enjoy these people being horribly slaughtered because it, it's, it's utterly not real. And, and we had a really good discussion about where does De- Desperado fall on that and does it fall in that guilty pleasure or not. And, and Paul, by that, by that regard, where would you place Deadpool? Um, I don't really care about guilty pleasures versus just to, um, mm. like, I, I do understand the idea of, like, making art or entertainment that glorifies violence, um, probably isn't overall, like, good for, like, society in general, right? Um, but at the same time, I, I, don't actually totally agree with that because I think, um, especially in the case of something like Deadpool, where it is presented in a like, well, this is ridiculous kind of way. Um, not so much just to give the audience permission to enjoy it, but to kind of like give the audience a little bit of a reminder also, like, you know, this is ridiculous, you know, um, and like, you shouldn't be taking it literally as like, this is a good thing to do, you know, um, and I think fortunately most people will never actually be in situations where that's like, you know, most people aren't going to go around with like two katanas and two nine millimeters and an ability to heal basically any injury. Um, though I will say that his ability to heal actually to me means that he should use less violence. And I feel the same Mm. way about Logan. Mm -hmm. Um, and interestingly, they're two of the most violent characters, yeah. Um, perhaps because they can take so much punishment that then that can be shown so gruesomely and then you have a hero survive that. Uh, but as far as Desperado, like Desperado's like, it falls under the category of like violence as art, basically, mm. you know, like, which is, is kind of, I'd say what Kung Fu films are about mm-hmm. and what, you know, John Woo films and the, something like the Boondock Saints also. Um you know, and it, it has, like, just a moment of kind of, like, you know, it's harder to create than to destroy. Like, everybody, you know, I killed has people who care about them who are suffering because I killed this person. You know, and, like, all their lives do matter, basically. Um, after, you know, 90 minutes of just, like, well, wasn't that entertaining, you know? Right. Um, but, so that's, you know, maybe, like it's like a little fine print disclaimer a little bit, which like, you know, only goes so far. Um, the Punisher TV series, actually, I really didn't enjoy the violence that much. Like I, mm. I do find violence in video games and movies, whatever, um, entertaining. And I mean, even in real life in a controlled situation where it's not, um, where it's like sparring, right? Yes. Yeah. Like right. I, I find kicking people in the head really fun. Like, but I kicked someone in the head one time, broke their nose, they were bleeding all over the place, and I felt really bad, you know? So it's like, when there's consequence, like, not fun. When it's, like, of game, fun. Well, right, and, 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 sorry, sorry, I want to, I want to, uh, before, before I'm thrown, uh, by, by, uh, our general listener doom into this category in this lump sum category about Jacob doesn't like any violence unless it's cartoony and silly. Uh, I'm actually a really big fan of, uh, and I, and I love a phrase that you used, um, 
in, in just a little bit ago where you said violence is art. Uh, I'm a huge fan of, of Hong Kong action theater movies uh, like yeah. like Ip Man. Uh, I really enjoy mm-hmm. where when when it's or or and um, of course I play video games because hello. Uh, but yeah, like <laughs> so so when when it's in that lens right when when it is an when it is being portrayed as clearly entertainment or clearly art mm-hmm. right i agree yeah. that like there is entertainment value there and there is i don't think that is actively harmful right um it's and i, w- I was picking on the punisher specifically because it's it i felt it was designed to look very realistic yeah um and i don't enjoy i don't i don't enjoy the idea of a universe where people be all like where, where, where that is both realistic and somebody's sitting here going that's justified this is right. right 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 yeah i felt kind of like the punisher wasn't really saying that but like at the same time that a lot of people watching it will mm-hmm. hear that mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah. right um, and it, it gets into a lot of the questions about like where is the line between you know, if you are saying something but saying it in a way that a lot of people were very easily going to misunderstand it, is that at all your responsibility or not? Right. Um, I mean, one of the things I was thinking of as we talked about this is um, – and obviously this is outside of the realm of um, fiction, but I think very much a part of the you know the, the, the art of violence. Um, I'm someone who, I've, as I've talked about, I love the sport of football. I have for a long time been a very big fan of the NFL, and I have been – very troubled by a lot of things about the NFL, and I've recently decided to stop watching the NFL. For me, the sort of the last straw was all the stuff about Chris Kaepernick and the mm-hmm. uh, not making, not allowing people to kneel for the anthem. But one of my other big problems had been all the concussion issues and and um, the way that the sport had glorified the big hit in the NFL right. and sort of done all that. And the thing is, I loved watching the big hit. It was fantastic, you know? I mean, and that's to me, that's the art of violence that you're talking about. It was great to watch yeah. that, like, the guy on my team, the bone-rattling hit. I think it was, especially once I realized that that had real consequences, right. you know, and that the thing I was watching was doing real harm to people in ways that, that people didn't really have a chance to, to fully consent to because they were being lied to about those consequences mm-hmm. – once I knew that, I was like, I can't enjoy this anymore. There's right. too much wrapped up in it. Yeah. But I, I can't claim that it wasn't enjoyable, you know. And I yeah. think that's – to me, that's getting a lot of this tension of when you can – when there's violence to enjoy but also the, the consequences of it. Um, and because we've kind of skirted it, this actually lets us kind of move into the next topic I wanted to discuss but I think is so vital to this is um, is the movie Logan. Um, and we, it was discussed in uh, episode 24 in which – uh, neither I did cheat on both of you guys, um, <laughs> but with uh, but with uh, a very good friend of Paul's, actually the guy who introduced me to Paul, um, our friend Logan. Um, and I'm curious for for either of you, what was your take on on that discussion on, and on the, the 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 movie Logan and how it portrayed violence? Where where does that fall for you in regard to these you know the the sort of Deadpool versus Punisher versus Desperado kind of scales we're discussing? So for me, uh, for Logan specifically, um, it's not really in the it's it's definitely not in the the Deadpool vein. We <laughs> get that right out there. That's a softball <laughs> question. Uh, this is not comic violence, uh, but it also wasn't. So, and and this is it's a it's a strange distinction perhaps. But I've never felt at any point during Logan that I was being shown this you know, some of these like very gruesome acts. And meant to meant for the takeaway to be, um, 
that this was anything other than upsetting, right? And it right. it was designed to upset me, and it had that effect. And I felt like the movie was framed to make that like that is the message that we are sending, right? Um, and for that reason, I thought it was very well done. Um, yeah, I think one distinction that I'd make between Logan and The Punisher, um, as far as this is a, a little sort of how these portrayals of violence might affect different people. Like, people don't have adamantium claws. Mm. So if you see Logan doing all this violence with adamantium claws, you're not going to go out by adamantium claws and then do any of that. The oh, Punisher that's a really good point. Yeah. It's just a guy with a lot of guns. And you actually can, like in the United States at least, go out and buy a lot of guns and do bad things with them um, yeah. that maybe you think are good things, you know? So, you know, the Punisher, I mean, and I, I kind of felt watching the series like, you know, like as I said, like I, I didn't feel like it was necessarily an endorsement of Frank Castle, right? Or mm-hmm. his methods. Um, there were parts where it just felt like a first-person shooter video game. Yep. And I felt yep. like that was very deliberate um, and interesting, and I didn't really enjoy that aspect that much. I mean, like, I don't mm-hmm. really like watching first-person shooters. Like, if I'm going to play it, fine. Although I haven't in, like, a decade now. But, like, <laughs> um, but like I used to enjoy GoldenEye a lot. Matthew and I used to play all the time. Yeah, all long time. <laughs> a lot of time. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, the idea that it's like, here's a regular human doing stuff that a human can do, and that, hey, you can do it too if you just go down to your local Walmart or wherever they sell whatever, you know, and you know, compared to Logan, where it's like, well, this is about mutants, you know, he's got, his violence is not something that you can just go out and do, exactly, and, you know. And I think that point's really interesting, especially in, because um, I, I think that actually gives a really good way to frame Desperado, because, mm-hmm. as we talked about in that in that podcast, Desperado is on some level just a man with guns, right. and yet, from the very beginning, the character is introduced as more than human, as mm-hmm. legend, as fairy tale, yeah. and the very first time we see a gun enter his hand, <laughs> the gun leaps up out of the guitar case into his hand in a way that is, you know, breaks right. every possible law of physics. Right, right, um, right. The shadows right. literally bends to cover his face. Yeah. Like, he has a tenebration. Like. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, I really... Up a... tenebration, did you just make a Vampire the Masquerade reference? I did. Oh yeah, excellent. Paul Paul Logan and I played vampire for years. Yeah, yeah he's a little sober. Okay, I definitely need to see this movie now. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll put it on the list. But um, but yeah, because I, I really like that that point you're making, Paul. Because I, it's funny as we're talking about this. I I love Logan. I think in some ways it is one of my absolute favorite superhero movies, especially on this issue because I am someone who is, and pro- and as we talked about somewhat during our episode about Avatar. I have a little bit different of a relationship to violence than the two of you because I have never studied martial arts. I have never studied violence as something Mm -hmm. that can have purpose in a sort of controlled, you know, almost, you know, meditative or or whatever kind of way it it is in martial arts. To me, it's always just been a a destructive tool. Um, And, and, and I, as I think about Logan, I remember how much I enjoyed Enjoyed is the wrong word, but but in the, in the same kind of like how how glad I was to see a movie that portrayed the violence in such a gruesome, awful way. And I I don't 
I, to me, it's miles away from anything I would ever call beautiful. But I have to say, like, there's obviously incredible skill and, and, and maybe even I'd use the word art in the portrayal of that violence. And now that, that that's kind of fucking with my head a little bit as we talk about it, because it's like that there's, that, you know, there is some real skill in the portrayal of the gruesomeness of violence. And I do wonder if in the same way that some people love going to gross out horror movies and some people love going to really scare, you know, some people love right. art that gives them a really uncomfortable feeling. Mm-hmm. To what extent is Logan exactly the same? Well, I, I and that's think, not necessarily bad, but it's an interesting it's an interesting observation, I think. And I think I think you're right. I think I think it hits a it scratches a very similar itch for people who are, uh, I think, for people like you who have gotten into the the superhero movie uh, movement, as it were. Um, but but needed like there's nothing else in in the media that quite like that. And Paul, you made an excellent point earlier about. Um, and I really like this, that uh, the reason why Frank Castle's character is, is as upsetting as he is in Netflix is because that can be like a guy that you randomly see on the street, whereas right. you're not going to you're not going to see some guy with mutton chops and a really bad hairdo from Canada, ostensibly. But yeah. re- in reality, who knows, uh, whip out his right. adamantium claws from between his knuckles and start going yeah. to town on people. That's not something yeah. you that's going to happen. Right, right. Well, and not only that that it could happen, but but the Punisher but story does happen. I mean, mm-hmm. former soldiers yeah, yeah, with yeah, access to guns doing terrible things that they think are justified. I mean, right. that that does happen in our world all the time. Yeah. Um, I just feel the need to make a clarification that um, El Mariachi is actually more of a Toreador, maybe anti-tribu than uh, Lazambra, but he does have a penetration. So so moving on. Yeah, so, that's so he's, fair. he's not that's actually fair. affiliated with the. Uh, oh, I'm gonna remember Sabat. this. No, no, no. Yes. Darn it. Right. So uh, the, there were the Sabat, and they're the Camarilla. He's not a Sodi right. with, with the Camarilla. Yeah, no, or definitely more of an outlaw, maybe an Anarch. Yeah, he's straight yeah. up Anarch. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> now that we've alienated a lot of our audience. Vampire no, no, no. We, I don't think we've alienated game. any no, of yeah. our audience. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they've all played Vampire the Masquerade, the classic White Wolf RPG from back in the 90s. I mean, uh, at least, well, what, 10%? Yeah. Well, well, good, because I absolutely want to do a Camarilla Sabat uh podcast at some point oh, cool. but pulling us back um <laughs> let's let's actually move on to uh to a different idea which is um kind of wrapped up in 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 some of the stuff we talked about uh especially with batman but 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 looking at it from a wider lens i want to talk about this idea of what happens when heroes like basically have to go rogue when they they are starting to break the law because they think it's necessary um and i want to start making it a little bit focused although as i said as we had a discussion about this some time ago the following discussion is 100% hypothetical, <laughs> has nothing to do with any particular situation that might be happening in any particular part of the world. Oh, we're going to start hope- killing – we're going to talk about killing Donald Trump. I gotcha. No! <laughs> if the cops no, show up again no. this time, I'm going to be very upset. Yeah, the last time we had Let me put on pants. <laughs> the cops accidentally – the cops wound up showing up at Paul's house, I'm sure purely out of um, um, coincidence – um, no, mostly it's just my own ego that hopes that they the cops are called on our podcast. It was probably a coincidence. But still, Jacob, let's see how brave you are. Um, talking just about Lex Luthor, should Superman kill Lex Luthor in yes. the Oval Office? Yes. So this, this is famous. This, by the way, is a reference to episode ten uh, of our podcast, Killing President Luthor, and it's an, uh, a reference to a fantastic set of graphic novels uh, in which Superman faces that exact question. So. 
Should somebody rise to power in in the highest executive office of our nation who just whose motivations are clearly amoral and clearly not in line with with what our nation you know was was founded to do and and doesn't represent the people i don't think superman should be the one to kill him mm, how come so that's so and this is just that's not superman's job in my opinion uh so he he would very much you know be the person to apprehend and ensure that that person you know meets jail time or sees justice, but it it really shouldn't be uh, somebody from another planet, I guess, or or somebody who's who's sort of external toward it. It's like I do not like extrajudicial execution of of people in general except under extreme circumstances just straight up walking in and assassinating the president there's probably other options right um so i don't think i think superman could probably find another way um i think there are other heroes in the like oliver queen i think would snap just go yeah let's let's go with that assassination plan i don't have a better idea president luther you have failed the city slash country <laughs> slash world you failed um, the city harder than i have failed the city and harder than these arrows have failed the city so now they're gonna fail your skull moving right along um, <laughs> 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 paul what, what's your perspective because I, I know and this it, it, this actually gets into something we, we talked about in the um uh, episode that lives only in in imagination the first time we tried this 50th episode but we got into a long discussion about Sort of where is the line between a hero killing someone because they are terrible and need to be killed versus uh, a hero killing someone because they pose a direct threat to someone and they sort of have to be killed or else others will die. And it's kind of a self-defense thing. Um, you are a member, like, like I think like I, was, was a pretty big advocate for, for Superman killing President uh, Luther. What's, what's your take on it now? Paul, are you still there? Oh my god. The Secret Service did cut off Paul's line. Net neutrality is oh, no. Hello? Hello? Okay, you're Hello? back. Okay. <clears throat> did, um, did the police come to your door? Uh, I'm not a robot who's been replaced to... Um, <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Uh, no. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, so my, my take is pretty much the same it was before. Um, what I would say is that... Um, I'm also not a fan of extrajudicial killings. I'm I'm not a fan of judicial killings. Um, I'm strongly opposed. Uh, although I, I'd actually, I'd say I actually prefer extrajudicial killings to um, judicial killings. If is that like a thing? Do people use that phrase? Judicial um, killings. I'm pretty sure yeah. they just call them executions. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. I'm more opposed to those. But so the, the, here's... Death, the death penalty is a killing done through through the judicial system. Right, so yeah, exactly. that's a perfectly good. And I, yeah. I think that makes the point it's well. A reasonable construction, right? Um, so the point is, though, like once once somebody's in custody and maybe doesn't have any superpowers where they can control other people with their mind, whatever, yada yada yada. Um, that was that was not well pronounced. Um, I, I feel what, like yada, at that yada, point, yada. killing them is totally unreasonable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's <laughs> um, not even real words. I don't think you have to worry. Children, yada, children, yada, don't make yada. me, don't make me pull this car over. Let's keep stay on okay, topic. Moving on, um, or moving, powering through. Um, 
like once somebody's in custody, it's like, yeah, there's it's. I think it's just ridiculous to then be like, okay, we're just we're gonna kill them now. Um, that's its own conversation. But in terms of like extrajudicial killings, I will say there's a big difference between an execution, right, where it's like, well, this person needs to not exist, so I'm just gonna kill them, and this person poses an imminent threat. Um, in the episode. I'm not sure about the original comics, but in, in there's the Justice League episode where the Justice Lords and you know an alternate reality, whatever. Um, Superman kills the president, who's mm-hmm. Lex Luthor, but Luthor literally has his finger over a button that's like, if I just press this button, I can kill millions of people because, like, you know, obviously that's not actually the way you know it works. Um, and Superman could probably fly and stop the nukes and whatever it is. But he was like, you've thought of, you know, however many ways of stopping me, but they all involve lethal force, right? And right. and so he's basically, like, daring Superman, like, you know, are you going to let me press this button and kill tons of people, or are you going to go against, you know, one of your core values and use lethal force to kill me um, to prevent that, but then, you know, are, are you going to do that? Are you going to take that, right. that action that you don't want to do because then you wouldn't be like the hero. Um, and, and in that regard, I mean, the, the flip side of that is Thor not going for the headshot against Thanos, you know, cause that's right. the, that's that exact situation where like, if Thor goes, Thor isn't executing Thanos. Thor is just stopping him. If he had gone right. for the head, right. Thor is just he's actively trying to kill a lot of people. Yeah. Right. And in that situation, lethal force is justified. Right? right, and now, so the, the Superman situation is supposed to be like that situation, basically. Although, in, in this case, it's just Superman once again forgetting his powers. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, can't he just move fast enough to stop him? You know? well, can't he just like, destroy the can't device? He can't he just vision? freeze him with his super breath that he never uses? Right, or just, like, laser off his hand with yeah, his, like, his heat vision. Right. You know, it'll self-cauterize. Yeah. Like, I, I, I mean, and this is... This is uh, this is one of my biggest complaints about Superman as a character in terms of the way he's written is that so often it feels like the only way to make – to create drama in the in the Superman story is to ignore the – have him ignore the powers that he has. Um, and that's that's an entirely different issue, but, but – Yeah, it's um, too powerful hero syndrome. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I, I do hear what you're saying, and I think that there's something – because I'm in a very similar place here, and I, I think um, – I think, you know, especially this, this comes into play with Daredevil, which is a, a character I know beloved to all three of us. And I, I love Daredevil's, you know, moral wrestling with the idea of do I kill people? But I but I am frustrated because I think Daredevil presents it as though there isn't this idea of sometimes you have to use lethal force in a moment to stop a lethal event happening in a moment. Um, right. He seems to be presenting it as either there's non-lethal force or I am killing in a sort of passing judgment you have to die Oliver Queen kind of a way. Right. Um, that's how that's how he presents it, but then um Karen actually has a situation where um yeah. she basically that actually makes that exact point. Um and then she obviously struggles with it afterwards. Right. But yep. you know, that's the spot where it seems like, well, yeah, that seems justifiable. Like someone was gonna kill you and then you killed them to stop them from killing you. Like you probably didn't have a lot of other, you know, yeah, options. Maybe there were, you know, but well, and to me, I think the the point that I think is the most 
sort of ethically ethically interesting, especially because it makes me question myself the most, is it, it's something that um, Daredevil brings up, the, the priest sort of pokes Daredevil about, um, which is, and, and that I think to me is the whole reason why people's desire for the death penalty scares me so much and why heroes who sort of, you know, kill the bad guys in very emotionally satisfying ways sometimes scares me so much is I do think that there that there's a moment where the priest sort of challenges Matt Murdock and says, you know, are you scared that on some level you believe that these people deserve the things you're doing to them and that you're enjoying that? And I feel like a lot of the time in these stories, like, uh, you know, in, in a story like that, I can recognize it's being set up as, like, Luther is this danger. But also there's the element of some lizard part of my brain thinks Luther is a terrible person and deserves to die. And so it is satisfying to see him be killed. Right. Um, and that terrifies me. And, and, and maybe these stories are great for bringing that up, but I think there's something really interesting there about what, what's happening when the stories are, are diving into that thing of, like, making you think a character deserves to die and then, and then letting you see what letting you get what you think that character deserves. Yeah, I think that's, like, basically humanity's worst impulse, or one of them. Um, and so, I think movies in general, uh, at, at least, you know, American pop culture or whatever, tend to cater to that. Um, with, like, you know, I mean, to quote Desperado, you know, uh, these guys like were dying much deserved deaths. Like that's a Steve Buscemi quote from that movie. Yeah. Um, and it's like that sort of moralistic judgment of like, Oh, this person should die because they did such and such. Um, and you know, that's, that's the argument for, you know, the state murdering people, but it's also an argument for, you know, vigilantes murdering people. And then once, once you kind of like think that's a thing, um, like then you can just kill anyone who you think is bad, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and to me, the only rational argument for say killing someone who quote, you know, who you think is bad is not because you think they're bad and like they deserve it. Like the only rational argument I see is because you are, because that's the only way that you have of stopping them of causing more damage and damage that exceeds, you know, the damage that you would do to them. Right. And this is a, uh, that kind of thing was actually portrayed, I feel, uh, very well, although our hero elected not to make the choice uh, for in uh, the latest season of Jessica Jones, where mm. Jessica mm-hmm. is consistently faced with this this problem with her mother, uh, where her, her mother is clearly a danger to the people that she's around, and Jessica knows it, but Jessica doesn't want to commit to using lethal force, but knows that it's effectively not really plausible to contain her mother in any reasonable situation she ends up having the the choice ripped away from her um in in a bit of a very high drama that i'm sure we'll come back the next time we see jessica jones on screen with trish walker but um but that's a, a fascinating thing where at the end of the show i i ended up going you know i don't think trish walker was wrong that that probably needed to happen 
but I think Trish Walker was wrong to do it in that moment. Well, and to me, it's so interesting that you bring up Jessica Jones, especially because I think you're right um, about where Jessica fails to do, doesn't make that decision. Because where I actually thought you were going to go is Jessica Jones season one, where she does. Because as I was thinking about it, I was thinking yeah. about, is there ever a time where I thought a character killed a person who was obviously a danger, but was not like in that moment had a finger on the button, mm-hmm. but where the character clearly felt like I have to kill them because there is no other way to... There is no prison that could ever hold them. And I feel like that's exactly the calculus that Jessica makes with the Purple Man. And as much as I hate the death penalty, I, in that one instance, I think Jessica's right. Yeah, look, if you've well, got mean, somebody who can... Go on. Oh, just that, like, yeah, I think what you were about to say is, like, that he can control people's minds, and he might have already controlled people's minds, or he had, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he or, was, like, he was he actively people. controlling people. Right, so, like, he could just have those people kill each other, like, if he felt like it, and there really is, because he has that superpower, like, there, there is no way that he could really be contained, because he has magic, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, not, they don't call it magic, but it's, you know, it's something that isn't real, like, we don't have that. I I mean, in the same way that I think Jacob brought up that there really is no normal prison other than maybe the raft, but certainly no like normal New York city police prison. That's going to hold Jessica's mother. Right. That's true too. Um, personally, I liked the mom and I'd rather see her. I don't know. A show with like, just like a road trip show. Or something. Yeah. Look, look, I'm not saying <laughs> that really, I wanted really Jessica's really mother to die, but like I did feel that the, that, there was no clean solution once it had gotten to that point. Uh, uh-huh. it, it was it was sort of a, a confluence of, of tragedies one after another yeah. that got them to the got them to that that final place. Um, because as it turns out, they Netflix Marvel people know how to make drama. So, <laughs> so so I think we can go a lot deeper on that. I want us to, to make sure we get to at least two more of our topics, possibly three, but at least two more. And I want to kind of uh, – so this is going to be a pretty rough shifting, but, but connected to a lot of these questions about sort of the, the ethical weight of life and, and things like that. Um, I think an, another one of the great episodes that has happened since Jacob came on um, is, is episode 33 where we talk about um, uh, robotic life and the, what was called the ethics of a robot, robot overlords. Um, and it's um, – Paul, I wanted to start with here with you because you and I had done a whole episode on who can we kill and, and the way mm-hmm. – movies and stuff do things around like clones and droids and stuff like that around like the moral weight of things. And one morning, especially with the, the discussion we had about Star Trek, but also in general, kind of what, what is your take on the way these movies and shows are, are presenting the moral weight of, of robots, specifically robots, droids, um, uh, life decoy models, um, right. just to take a random example. Um, yeah. What, what's your take on our robot overlords? Well, I think humans way overvalue themselves as a species. Um, and once again, I've not been replaced by a robot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, maybe I wish I had. Anyway, um, like, I think humans just think humans are, like, so special and so different from, like, other animals. And, you know, when thinking about, like, aliens from other planets, like, they're always humanoid or not always, but usually, and I know a lot of the time, like, especially with, like, early Star Trek or whatever, um, 
you know, that's because, like, well, you've just got human actors, you know, and unless you have tons of special effects or whatever, you, you really, it's like, it's a lot easier to just have someone be humanoid with, like, ridges on their forehead or whatever, right. you know, different kind of differences, big ears or, like, pointy elf ears or whatever, um, you know, to be able to be like, well, we can use human actors for them then. And then they come up with, you know, these explanations, which I think in Star Trek is like that there's just only certain ways that life, intelligent life, like, would evolve because blah, blah, blah. Like there, there, um, there was a, a, a race that actually seeded uh, their structural DNA. It, it, there's an episode of Next Gen where they go into it. It's okay. kind of basically. <laughs> basically, they show you the blueprints of the Deus Ex Machina. Um, right, but yeah, right, go right, ahead. Right. <laughs> anyway, the, the point being that, like, you know, when the... Oh, my God. So one of the most frustrating things about Infinity War to me Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I won't really talk about the movie so much as just the, the coverage on it. People keep saying like when, you know, Thanos wiped out half of all life. And it's like, that's not what life means. Like, right. I'm pretty sure that wasn't his plan. Like we didn't see half of all the trees disappear, right? Half of all the cats didn't disappear. As far as I know, maybe they did. Like that was unclear, but like, you know, th- this idea that like life equals intelligent life and that intelligent life equals, like, human intelligence or better. Like, there are some dogs who are smarter than some humans, you know? But, like, dogs aren't generally referred to as intelligent life. But, right. like, babies are, you know? But, like, it just... So so when then it comes to, like, robots and aliens who, who maybe are, like, insectoid, you know? Like, the less human... The less humanoid they look, the the easier it is for... Um, a work of fiction to kill them off and be like, oh yeah, we can kill them because they don't look like us, you know? It's like, people, not all people in all places have or do currently value all humans the way, based on the way humans look or don't look like each other or whatever customs or cultures they have. Um, So, you know, I think, I mean, personally, I value animal life a lot more than most humans do. Um, and I find the human world extremely upsetting to live in because of the extreme disregard that, that humans have for other animals. Um, and so I, I feel the same way about robots where, you know, I feel like if it thinks, you know, it's like a person, you know, if it feels it's a, and I mean, like person is like, what does person mean? Like, what is, what, mm-hmm. what constitutes that? But like, where they're like, oh, is this like really artificial intelligence or is it only kind of like, um, something that say can deceive people like with the life model decoys, you know, um, the scene with them all like burning in an oven, like I found that extremely it was disturbing. Horrifying. Yeah. And I thought the point was that it was disturbing and we should be questioning the quote-unquote heroes but then it felt like that wasn't the point and i'm like that's even more upsetting like and i you know i I haven't watched the show since then um you know talking about shields um i really did enjoy the episode you guys did um and you know i just i just come down on the side like if you think maybe it's a person treat it like a person you know (laughs) like if you if you even have to ask you know the answer probably a person Mm -hmm. right exactly and even if it isn't it's like the cost of treating 
something or someone who's not a person like a person is much lower than the cost of not treating them that way and and being wrong. You know, it's like when you look at two choices and it's like, well, if I'm wrong, what's the cost of being wrong on this side compared to what's the cost of being wrong on this side? Um, right. Yeah, so I just also, you know, I, I kind of think <laughs> the optimist in me um, thinks like maybe robots can be better than humans, you know. <laughs> um, but then it's like, what do we mean by better? And that's its own can of worms, um, uh, which seems like an extremely oppressive place to put worms. But, you know, <laughs> like in a can, like crawling all over each other. That doesn't sound fun. Anyway, stay on um, target unless they're into that. But um, he's talking about life and about how you should treat life with respect and equally. Yeah, yeah, like sticking a bunch of worms like, in a can doesn't really. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, you know, if, if I were to ever kind of approve of an authoritarian state, it would be one that, which like I wouldn't, but like, ideally it would probably be one that was run by robots, not by humans, you mm-hmm. know, cause I idealistically think maybe robots could become less, um, I don't want to say awful, but, uh, you know, then whatever, then, you know, then humans less. Um, well, I, I mean, I think certainly it seems that irrational. one of the worst things. Yeah, I think one of the worst things that humans do is when we are we are we are rational because of things like fear and prejudice. Mm-hmm. And, and if you could create a robot that didn't have those things, to me, that's fascinating. I think my concern becomes I think it's actually something that. um not quite with robots, but with artificial life, Babylon mm-hmm. 5 actually really explored well, is that, you know, any robot is almost always going to, on some level, have the prejudices of its creator. Um, and I I, oh. I, I I, always wonder, like, could you have a robot that doesn't have the prejudices of its creator? And if you yes. could, sign me up, but yes. I have real trouble believing mm-hmm. that that could happen. Yeah, so that's a, that's, that's a, um, that was something that I really wanted to take issue with, which is that, um, I mean, can you have a human that doesn't have the prejudices of its parents, you know, or whoever raises it or the society it grows up in? Like, maybe to an extent, no, but to an extent, yes. Like, mm-hmm. those prejudices or, you know, whatever, just outlook of, um, you know, whoever someone grows up around are always going to have an influence. But, like, you don't, you don't program a human that way specifically but like i think when people think about you know artificial life they're thinking about like lines of code you know that are like if this then this if this then this else this you know like where they're thinking like okay somebody's gonna program um a set of instructions almost like that's not how artificial life is is that's not life yeah right exactly that's that's not you know, and and so in something like Shield, where they're programming the life model decoys, it's like once they have that level of realism, like that's not how that's not how that's going to get done. That's not mm-hmm. how robots are going to exist. You know, I mean, I don't have a whole lot of background with artificial intelligence or computer programming, but some. But you know, the point is, it's like to in order to create life, you need to create um, the ability to learn. Right, the ability to develop. So, like, who's going to program the robots? The robots are going to program the robots. They're going to develop. They're going to learn. They're going to have minds, whether they're made up of neurons or, um, 
you know, bits of, of data, like whether it's binary or analog, um, I don't think that's necessarily the part that matters that much. I think the point is, is that there's like real learning that can take place, um, and development and, you know, that there, it's not going to be like, oh, you need to just have like this set of rules for how to act. And I guess that's kind of one of my issues with like the idea of ethics in general is mm-hmm. that it's almost like a search for an instruction manual or like a, you know, um, a way to program oneself, like to what to do or what not to do. Um, and to an extent, I just, I feel that the, that real life and the number of situations that can arise, um, simply too dynamic to really do yeah. that efficiently. You know? well, and just to, just to go cl- to talk on that for a second, I think mm-hmm. what you, what you're actually clarifying there is two different schools of ethics. Like, mm-hmm. There's a school of ethics that actually, and, and Jacob referenced this on our last podcast, um, deontology, mm-hmm. uh, for which uh, Immanuel Kant is sort of like the, 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 the most well-known thinker, but there's many others, that really is about like, you know, his whole idea of a categorical imperative and that like right. you have to find what is sort of the essential first rules and then every other rule of proper conduct can be derived almost like deriving a mathematical formula. Right. Um, Whereas virtue ethics, which is I think what a lot – in a lot of ways Aristotle actually was talking about a lot but has been more recently something a lot of people are developing, there's a – it's really more of a learned idea. And I think maybe this is a good, a good way of distinguishing between different kinds of robotic life because the whole point of virtue ethics is you can't ever learn the ethical answer to every situation. What you can learn is – moral frameworks to help you understand mm-hmm. ethical situations and to help you come up with the best possible answer. Right. But understanding that there isn't a, a one true answer and that you're never going to find the one rule. Um, yeah. And that's like a good way to learn anything. I, I think like that's, if you're learning to play poker, it's like you can start with like, you try to learn absolutes, but like ultimately really you want to learn how to think about something. And then you just do the thinking in real time as opposed to trying to have kind of hard and fast rules of like if A, then B. Right. And, that, and that's what uh, AI uh, that, that people are trying to develop nowadays. That that's, They're trying to create uh, learning algorithms whereby mm-hmm. the things teach themselves uh, how to process that information profitably yeah. uh, and, and then that's effectively thing. come to its own conclusions. So. Yeah. That's like in in to just use the example of poker. Like machines have been taught how to beat the best humans at very specific forms of poker by not by saying okay, um, let's just derive the answers, but by actually having a machine play against itself till it reached equilibrium and basically learned. and And they've used a whole bunch of different approaches and been very successful with that. Thus far, machine learning tends to be um, for very discrete tasks right Right. not Mm -hmm. like how to navigate the world in you know the body of a Roomba or whatever Um, but uh, I don't know how do I Roomba right (laughs) the machine just googles how does Roomba how to Roomba how does Roomba Roomba Zumba I do want to move us on to a last topic, but Jacob, I know this is one that is so dear to your heart. I want to make sure you have a sort of last chance to to, to respond to Paul and to me about about these questions well, of robotic ethics. 
Well, thank you. First off, Paul, I'm glad you enjoyed our our episode where I just complained about how the Agents of Shield treated Ada for like an hour. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I watched the, I listened to the episode, then I watched the series. I was like, oh, they're so horrible. <laughs> just, oh God, it was so bad. And just, so for for me, and and this this comes up in multiple different forms of media, and Agents of Shield, regrettably, just like threw that whole plot line into a fire like we haven't really gone back to it we talk about the framework from the perspective of our squishy human characters but we Mm -hmm. never revisited the idea that you know if we had actually started treating ada like a person all along she wouldn't have gotten this complex to try to create a goddamn human body just so that she could actually be respected in somebody that had moral value like the rest of you freaking idiots um so and then everybody in the framework, they also pretty much killed. So, like, that's a thing, too. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's these these entities that clearly had fully realized personalities. Yeah. So, yes. Digital life, also life. So, like, yes. So and it's something that is used as sort of a shorthand to show in, in, in many stories to show that these entities are disposable because they're robots. We, we right. talked on the episode about the battle droids in... in yeah. um, Phantom Menace, you know, that classic movie. I couldn't remember the name of it for a while. It was <laughs> such a, such a core classic of the Star Wars continuity. But um, no, the, this this idea that by making by by making our antagonists other, by othering our antagonists, we can mm-hmm. make them disposable, is a yeah. very very dangerous idea, yeah. and one that like it it's so easy to just shorthand that for some for some writers apparently into robots. But mm-hmm. I feel like that is missing the point of, like, you, you can't, just because it was um, created, quote-unquote, by somebody, doesn't mean it doesn't have moral value. And right. so there's that, that whole, our treatment of them, and and I felt like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was going to be one of those shows that, like, brought this sort of thinking into the into the modern era whereas you know we've had like irobot and the matrix which are very you know robot phobic very and and terminator the terminator uh stories very sort of ai phobic uh ideas um but no agents of shield is right there with the oh no ada could be dangerous and that's all they ever freaking talk about and never like hey what if it is a people then what do we do right right I mean, that's sort of what makes T2 interesting yes. compared to, like, Terminator, the first one. It's like, you know, the, he is a people. <laughs> yeah, so T- T2 is the best Terminator for many, many reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God, sorry. I, I just, you know, <laughs> that that one scene, that one scene just always moves me every time. I kind of love the first one, but I, I, I do hear what you guys are saying. The first I, one was I, a romance I, movie. It was it, it slash horror, but mo- mostly romance. It was a different story. I don't dislike yeah. Terminator, but Terminator 2 is so better. The Terminator series is a little bit like the Alien series in that it starts off more horror, then it goes more yep. straight-up action, and then yeah. then it goes off to like different, you know. And and I think, I honestly, I like the first Terminator and the first Alien in some ways and for the same – in some <clears> regard for the same reason in that in both – you didn't really have the budget to do all the crazy special effects. Right. And so yeah. I just felt like they focused so much more on other parts of the story. Um, yeah. But I anyway, they both, with Alien especially. They, they both yeah. also involve our uh, female protagonist ultimately defeating the monster by pushing a button. So we have they, they have <laughs> yeah. that going for them. <laughs> also true. Um, we're now kind of way it's off a connection topic. I've <laughs> never made prior to this <laughs> point. I can't believe that. Uh, just quick insert. 
Watch Thirteenth Floor. Okay, move on. Yeah. Okay. We're now we're now pretty solidly into the more entertaining parts of these movies, um, which actually is a good transition to the last topic I want to talk about, which is um, uh, I am interested. Um, I've been looking at the statistics of our downloads, and and one of the episodes that has gotten the absolute most downloads um, was the episode we did called Thor and the Value of Fluff, um, episode thirty nine. Um, I just rewatched that movie. Yeah, it, it's all about Thor Ragnarok, and 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 we kind of – the podcast started because Jacob and I were sort of like, that movie was so great, but there's probably nothing we could talk about, but let's try to talk about it. And we wound up getting a great episode, in part talking about some real issues that the movie raised, but also talking about as people who so love these movies and these TV shows that make us think about – you know, that take us on these long moral journeys and make us ask deep questions – Sort of what's the value of a movie that is just flat out incredibly entertaining? Um, and, and, and Paul, I'd love to hear you start to pick that one up. Um, what, what to you, um, as someone who obviously enjoys the stuff that really makes you think, um, what's the value for you in a movie like Thor Ragnarok? I mean, it just makes life better. You know, yeah. <laughs> like going and watching something for two hours and enjoying yourself just makes the world a better place. <laughs> like, you know, laughing is is good for people and uh, being entertained is, is good. And it, you know, <laughs> it does make some points. I, I, I didn't listen to the episode yet. Um, I, I think I will after after this. Well, after I sleep for like 20 hours tomorrow. But um, it. You know, th- there's, like, some kind of throwaway lines, like, you know, where she's, like, the, what's the name, the Grandmaster's right-hand woman who holds his melting stick. Um, she says something about, like, the slaves, and he's, like, oh, d- 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 I don't like that word, like, um, uh, prisoners with jobs, you know? Yes. And it's, mm-hmm. like, that's some deep social commentary, because, like, that's a thing in today's world, prisoners with jobs, and, like, yeah. you know, how that's, like, really not that far from slavery you can just kind of call it that it's like it's not the same as you know chattel slavery but it's like it's it's a freaking that's a that's a heavy issue I mean, you know that, i mean i don't it's know just if you like look a at, throwaway line you, if you look at our incarceration statistics it's very similar yeah no it is it is and it's like that's a that's a whole conversation but like that they didn't they didn't get into the conversation but they just kind of like put it there they're like mm-hmm. we'll just float this out there to you kind of you know and you can catch it or not, you know, but like they're they're just putting it there, kind of, mm-hmm. um, you know. And it was the first Marvel movie, at least that I can remember, that had like a woman of color in like a really strong, powerful role. Um, yeah. You know, um, I thought Valkyrie was awesome. You know, uh, and it. So I feel like they managed to like. But, like, there wasn't a big deal made about that, you know? Because, like, she's Asgardian, and they're all, you know, they're not all Asgardian, but the Asgardians are all Asgardian, and, like, race doesn't seem to really be such a big thing there. Like, you know, the Odin and Thor are, like, white dudes, but, like, Mm -hmm. you know, but they're, like, Scandinavian, but with, like, an Australian or British accent. You know, it's (laughs) just, Asgard is this kind of interesting, like, place where like you know they're they're aliens but they're gods or vice versa or whatever but like you know they're basically they can just use whatever actors they want for any of the roles 
you know, like I, I don't know in the in the in the um, comics or I imagine in North mythology, like um, Heimdall isn't like a black dude, but like they're like, yeah, we'll just have Idris Elba in that role because like why not? It's like they're they're as guardians and, and like you you manage to just like I don't know. I I think it's good when when you can do things like that and not have it be a big deal. Because it's also important to have it be a big deal sometimes in movies like Black Panther and shows like Luke Cage, you know. But I think I really kind of think you need both, um, and so I feel like Thor, you know, Ragnarok does a lot of really good things socially, right? And in terms of like, you can think about, you know, th- big things like, um, like where the Asgardians are basically like the Israelites, kind of, right? Like, yeah, where they're like. Asgard isn't a place, it's a people, you know, where, like, they're, you know, now they're on a ship, but they're still Asgard, and, um, that's one of the things I liked least about Infinity War, but, um... Oh, is that Asgard, Asgardian? Yeah! Asgard's not really a people anymore? Right, exactly, it's more (laughs) like a person, (laughs) um, but, like, yeah, I just, I just feel like, um, it's a movie that had great entertainment value that I was really surprised by. I was like, oh, Thor 3, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. I liked the first one. I didn't dislike the second one as much as a lot of people did, but like, you know, it was probably the weakest of the MCU. And then like, I feel like Ragnarok's yeah. like super strong movie that mm-hmm. kind of like gives you some stuff, you know, but like doesn't hammer you over the head with it. Uh, okay guys the the joke was impressive let's move on um (laughs) if anyone's wondering i am funnier when you make a joke out of the joke i i I, I am the babysitter of the uh, superhero ethics podcast um but somebody has to be the adult (laughs) exactly um i i am the oldest here um i i i think the most the the i i really i really agree with you paul especially insofar as so, so I'm going to say a dirty word. Um, propa- oh, propaganda. No. Propaganda. Like, prop- <laughs> propaganda is a word that obviously we always hear about in incredibly negative terms, and I think with mm-hmm. very good reason. But on some level, propaganda just means like using like intelligence and and like well crafted message to get a message across. Mm-hmm. And I do like that a lot of these stories are entertaining, but are also making points that I think are trying to tell people truths that that make the world better and that make me question things and make me hopefully be a better person and i hope you know black panther is an incredibly entertaining movie but i think also makes some really good points about racial justice and 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 feminism and so many other things and you're right there are some people who aren't going to go to black panther because they know it's going to make a really important point trademark for them and but they will probably go to thor ragnarok and so yeah. maybe seeing Valkyrie kick ass doesn't hit quite as many racial justice buttons as Black Panther would, but it hits them for the person who wouldn't go to Black Panther. Exactly, um, exactly. It reaches people who Black Panther might not reach. Yeah. Yeah, like kind of subliminally, right? Sort of subconsciously. Yeah, because in in, in the case of Thor Ragnarok, it's a movie that is – presented packaged for you know that this is for you know you the the 
quote average American. It, it's not. It's for everybody, and there is no such right. thing as the average American. But you're right. It's it's that idea that um, it's it looks safe. It's actually getting to the uh, getting back to the idea of um, when we were talking about robot life and different kinds of life, etc. Where um, if something looks a little too foreign, a little too alien, uh, people are less likely to engage with it, right? Uh, because we, we have this inherent fear of things right. that aren't like us. And yeah. so in that way, uh, movies that, that seem more like fluff are, are good vehicles for shoehorning. Shoehorning is not quite the right word, but, but for, you know, more subtly uh, yeah. reinforcing Sprinkling. these ideas that, yeah, yeah, hey, guess what? Valkyrie, really cool character. Right. Like... What? Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. no that, that was it. Just like... <laughs> That, that the movie threw it out there. That's Valkyrie, kind of the cool point. character. It's, that it's just like here's here's a little, you know. Right. Well, and also having said that, I also I really want to also focus on the first thing you said, Paul, because, I, and it's funny because on some level this is sort of the very opposite of what this podcast is about. Like mm-hmm. this podcast is about the idea that these movies and TV shows are great because they make us think, because they challenge us. But I do think we do need entertainment in our world as well. Like I think every now and then I. I want to watch a movie that, like, I love The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight mm-hmm. is one of my absolute favorite movies. If I watched that movie every day as the only movie I would watch, I would go insane because right. it requires a level of, like, deep mental analysis and focus. And sometimes I just want to watch a good popcorn fi- flick. Right. And yeah, Sometimes you just want to watch the world burn. Wait, no. That's yeah. <laughs> well, but, but that's the whole <laughs> point. I, I, to me, I think what makes Thor Ragnarok so incredibly brilliant is – it lets me feel like, no, don't worry about it. We are just going to show you a fun popcorn flick. Right. This is going to be heavy metal music and awesome scenery and great fight scenes. And oh, by the way, we might actually make you think about a couple of important things too along the way. Mm-hmm. But we're also going to mostly just fucking entertain the hell out of you. Right, right. And it's even, it's not like they're going to make you think about them. They're going to kind of like invite you to think about them. But it's like, it's kind of up to you whether you want to spend a lot of your kind of processing power, you know, on it, or you want to just kind of like let it sort of seep into your mind and, and kind of just like float there. You know, I think that's like the value of propaganda really is that like you can put something in someone's mind without like telling them it's there, which is, you know, on the one hand insidious and potentially awful, but on the other hand, you know, effective if you, you know, it's kind of just like, well, what are you trying to say? Yeah, that, right. that gets that that actually gets back to an earlier point about uh, that we didn't make. I think we made it um, in the the lost episode where we were talking about uh, it might or it might have been in an even earlier one. We were talking about how it's funny how we we can agree with certain acts like the use of propaganda when we're when we're generally okay with the end game with the goal. Mm-hmm. But yeah. when they're used for a purpose we don't agree with, they're hella evil, right? Right. <laughs> I, I know, actually, I think, um, Jacob, you just went to go see the musical 1776, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know if it quoted this line. This line comes up in the movie. But my favorite line in that movie in the musical is when Benjamin Franklin says that there's no such thing as treason in the first, you know, the first person, our rebellion. Yep. Yep. That it's always in the third person, your oh. rebellion, that it's treasonous. Yeah. Um, and I think that's 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 exactly this. Like, if we are if it is in support of a cause that we agree with, it's not propaganda. It's really good messaging of an important thing. 
if it's making people think about uh, an idea that we don't like, then it's propaganda. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's very ends justify the means sort of. Um... No, continue. You you finish what yeah. you're saying. My thought <laughs> melted on me. No, I mean, I, th- I think we're all kind of coming to the same place there. Um, it's also been an hour and forty five minutes. Maybe yeah. we should wrap up. <laughs> I, I I think that's fair. I think that's fair. We've had a number of great episodes about Star Wars, and and we could have discussed that some, but I think we can we can leave that on the table for next time. Um, especially because I think Paul is wrong about his current Star Wars thoughts, so we can just move on. I mean, um, I didn't even see the Last Jedi, so yeah, well, that's exactly. unfortunate. <laughs> These are not the thoughts you are looking for. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, so. Um, uh, guys, thank you both so much for uh, being part of this recording again. Uh, thank you for helping us work through. Um, you know, I think it was great to get to, to even, you know, we had that discussion the first time, getting to come back and look at it all again. Um, and for you guys, what uh, you at the listening audience, um, what do you think about all this? Um, what do you think of the questions we've raised? What do you think of some of the, the questions raised on those uh, episodes we referenced? Um, what are things you think we still, we still continue to miss or, or points that you want to uh, poke at us about? Please let us know. You can tweet at us at um, Superhero Ethics uh, or both on Twitter and Facebook, uh, both. We are Superhero Ethics. You can also um, email us at SuperheroEthics at gmail.com. Um, and any of those ways, I think you can send us questions, send us things you want us to discuss in the future, um, or just engage with us. I know for myself and I know from talking to uh, Jacob and Paul, one of the things we most love is when uh, you guys, the listeners, respond to stuff we've discussed and, and, and we're able to keep the conversations going. Because um, this will come as a galloping shock to all of you, um, all three of us kind of like to hear ourselves talk and kind of like to keep talking to people about these things. Um, so you guys can protest now as a way to hear yourselves give more opinions if you wish. Well, speak um, for yourself, Matthew. I am deeply, <laughs> deeply upset by the idea that I would enjoy the sound of my own voice to such an extent that I would pontificate <laughs> for a very long period of time on any particular topic. Now that being well, said. <laughs> Well played, sir. Um, Paul, would you like to throw your hat into the rhetorical ring? No comment. Okay, good. Um, That's because Paul's a robot now. Anyway, thank you guys all for listening. Uh, Thank you both for being a part of this, and have a good day.